Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. I hope you had a safe and merry new year. The birds were talking about me this morning. And you may say, you're crazy. And to certain standards and to certain people, I certainly am. But I am telling you, the birds were talking to me. And why were they talking about me? They weren't talking to me. They were talking to each other about me. And why is that? It's because I was coming out to put new feed in the aviary. I have a portable aviary that was designed and built by my wonderful brother from another mother, Eric Egg Olufsen. And it was recently remodeled to have a baffle, a completely edgeless baffle, put atop it so that the hawk that lives in my neighborhood can't dive into it and grab the baby finches and doves. So... The birds know that I have their best interest in mind. And I, of course, don't have, bear any ill will towards the Cooper's hawk. She has plenty of room to go hunting elsewhere. So when they see me come out and put the seed in, I hear them in what we call the bird tree, talking to each other, saying, hey, that lady's out there. That person's out there. You know, I have a farmer routine now in my morning. And I realized when I started having this finger hooks farm environment in my house and yard, I realized how farmers did it. I never understood how farmers were able to get up so early every day, do chores before they went to work or do chores before they went to school. I guess it's because I'm not a person of routine. I've mentioned it before, but every day when I get up, I may or may not do something that I've done before. Now, my partner, on the other hand, does the same thing when she gets up every morning. And I can understand now why that is helpful in certain ways. So, the farmers. They just had this behavior memory to go to the chicken coop and do the chicken chores and then go to where the cows were and do whatever you do with cows, milk the cows. 
they didn't think too deeply about what they were doing. And that is how you can get a lot done by putting your thinking hat on lo-fi. But it's hard for me to do. It's very hard for me to put thinking on lo-fi at any time, even while dreaming. So, But I've come to a certain place where I'm able to do the routine without much stress. So the routine, it includes singing, light sources, seed, water, nectar. Now the singing, I do mostly to my fish. And of course, I sing to the hummingbirds. I've talked about this many times. Uh, My catfish, who is 15 going on 16, twice his uh, lifespan, by the way, and I believe singing keeps him alive, Uh, love. He has a new trick. He's so smart. He, in between water changes, I scoop out a little bit of detritus that builds up in the tank, right? Uh, the pieces of bug bites that he didn't get and his poop and whatever. He knows now that halfway between his actual filter and water change, we are going to do this sweeping task. And what he has learned to do is go around the tank and around all the obstacles in the tank. You know, he has a little castle and he has a little driftwood. Uh, he goes around and creates a whirlpool. So that the detritus lifts up in the water and it's easy for me to sweep it up with the net. He does this with um, premeditation. It's very obvious. How smart, right? So he is singing and I sing to him and his uh, fish mate plum and I make sure that their light is on and that the blinds are up so that they know it's daylight out and I check the temperature of their water then I go do the bird seed well first I check the cat's uh, essentials here and I take care of that if that is necessary then I go out and uh, check the seed and pour new seed and fill up their water And then I check the hummingbird feeders. And then I bring in the feeders that need cleaned. And I replace the nectar. And I make nectar in the winter probably every two days. They don't seem to eat as much in the winter. Plus, it's been raining a lot here and everywhere. Um, And so I don't need to do it as often as I do in the summer when... The migrating visitors are also here. So making the bird nectar. When I make it, sometimes I make that joke. I say, did you ever see the Woody Allen movie? Oh, what was it called? Oh, my goodness, it's escaping me. Anyways, he played Sleepers. That's what it's called. uh, Probably from the 70s. And he is trying to uh, get away in a future world, and so he dresses up kind of like a, 
uh, robot, I guess. But before that, he is stuck in a an operating room, and people think he is the surgeon. So he says things like, checking the cell structure, checking the cell structure, which always makes me crack up. So I always say, checking the bird nectar, checking the bird nectar. Anyway, Woody Allen homage there. Yes, he seems, by all accounts, to be a horrible person. But some of his movies are damn funny. This brings me to the story, The Dog. I believe that I am an empath. I feel things very deeply. Thus, having to try to turn all these thoughts and feelings down on lo-fi when I'm doing routine chores uh, and not being very su- successful at that. Um, I feel things very deeply. This word, well, now it is associated with new age-ish types of people and events. And I'm okay with that because I really do ascribe to a lot of new age ideas and ideals. We are in the age of Aquarius. I truly believe that. But the idea of someone being an empath and feeling uh, emotions so very deeply has had different words applied to that behavior, at least for me, over the years. Okay, used to be, I was called a drama queen, but I used to be more dramatic. So perhaps that label dropped off because of that. But I also think it's gone out of fashion. I was told I had a an emotional affect disorder. And I do think that my affect is a little off. I think that my face, my face has very uh, minute movements that are observed by people. And I think I can't keep my honest emotions at bay. So I, what people think is an affect disorder is just an affect conveyance. But in this civilization, in the United States, in the 21st century, I think people call it a disorder. If you don't curtail your emotions and affects towards certain standards. I've also been called histrionic. Now there's a new word uh, that's floating around. HSP, highly sensitive person. Alanis Morissette is involved in the HSP movement. There's a doctor that has written several books uh, about highly sensitive people, and she's done research, and she she contends that 15 to 20% of people are, are highly sensitive people, which I would then call an empath. So if you want to know anything more about um, your overactive emotional state or feelings, then I suggest you GTS HSP. There is a medical condition too, a real like physical medical condition that has something to do with blood vessels uh, that has the initials HSP. But you can find HSP, is put in HSP and Alanis Morissette, and you will see that 
Alanis Morissette even writes about HSP on her blog. I'm not sure that I have special powers in the empath department. You know, this doctor would say it's just, it's innate and it's found in other species, not just in humans. Um, But I have felt great sadness on some of my ghost searches. And why would it, why would I feel that sadness? Well, I believe that uh, souls sometimes don't want to be locked into the locations, the earthly locations that they are. And so, or they haven't, and when they're stuck there, they, they relive, if you will, their death over and over again. And if it was a nefarious death, of course, that might be a very frustrating and upsetting ordeal to relive. So anyway, I do feel things deeply. Now, I think that this jacked up empathy comes from many different wellsprings. I think maturity uh, has something to do with it. And I do feel like there was a time in my life, you know, the great trauma, the great disaster of my family, the suicide of my father, that caused me to be shut off. The valves of my affection shut off. Uh, I was paralyzed in some ways. Um, So I think maturing has helped to open those. I think that my affection has been re-triggered and it has ripened somewhat. But, and I need to work on this, I think, I also believe part of why I feel things so deeply for animals is karma. So a few episodes ago, I talked about Chris, the dog, the Samoid that my mother gave me right after my father died. Problem, you know, tip to parents or future parents, don't do this. (laughs) Don't uh, purchase or acquire a living thing that needs a lot of care for a child who has just gone through a great trauma. Uh, but I didn't hurt Chris. He, he didn't even stay with me that long, uh, as you know, my or if you recall the story, my mother gave him away on my birthday. Um, so I had him from like February to April. Um, but after that, I did get a few animals, a hamster, a white rat. I won't go into details about them, but they did expire um, a little unexpectedly and early because I didn't care for them correctly. And I was still insane from the suicide. Uh, We did get a dog maybe three years after my dad died. I had a weird patchwork family going on then. Living together were me, my mother, and my oldest brother, Mike. So we tried to raise this dog together. But I never treated her well. I was still insane. She didn't go on walks. She sat on the yard and chased cars. And so, you know, some of the neighbors didn't like her. Um, She had a wart on her lip. And I used to obsess over it. And I'd go after her and I'd say, lip, lip, let me see your lip. 
that she'd run away, so that's not good. Uh, oh, my heart. I'm so sorry, Toker. That was her name. Um, so back to the dog in my life now. My neighbor's dog, dogs, breaks my heart every day. Sometimes it's more than one. Right now it seems to be one. And they moan. They moan. They're lonely. They may be hungry or thirsty. They moan in the rain. They moan in the cold. They even moan on some very sunny days. And I've tried. I've tried to help them in the ways that a 62-year-old woman can do. Um, You know, but they're secluded. The guy has a fence around his yard and a gate and a canopy over the yard. Um, I've tried to put cameras up on my fence. They, the camera's view was blocked by these impediments. A friend of mine even climbed up on my fence to try to videotape and held his his arm up with the phone and tried to tape what was going on in the yard, but it couldn't see because of the canopy. So I have talked to the both Animal Control and the Humane Society about this dog. They say they can't do anything without visual proof. I've called them several times. Um, one of them, when they heard me crying, because I am heartbroken, it's hard for me to go outside and spend time with the animals because I hear this these sounds. And so one woman at the Humane Society said to me, there's something you could do, and here's what it is. You have to first file a noise complaint. If you can't get visual proof, file a no- noise complaint with the city. And then when they go out there, they are going to then send you a letter And they might even call you and want to interview you before you go out there. And I said, that's fine. Uh, And then you'll get a letter. And if the noise, the moaning, the yelping does not abate within two weeks from your notification that these neighbors have been alerted, um, then call us back and we will do something. So I have that in process. So... You know, the the six-year-old in me, and you know I'm trying to live my life as a six-year-old now that I'm retired, wants to just run over there, open up the gate somehow, break the lock, open up the gate, and let the dogs free. Um, and actually, when I was six, I actually did that. So when I was six, our neighbor in Manchester, Ohio, had hunting dogs, and they would yelp all the time. And I just walked right over to that kennel, and I opened every door. And then they ran into the woods. And my father had to hear the brunt of my neighbor, who was screaming about how long it took him to find all his dogs and get them back, back into the kennel where they were smushed up and screaming all the time. And he said, don't let your daughter come into my yard. Don't pass this tree. And my dad said, and don't you pass this tree into our yard either. He was my hero, always sticking up for me. And he said, I understand why you did what you did, but that was somebody else's property. And I think that's part of, that's another wellspring. I think 
I conform to the worldview about animals in the 60s when I had those animals, 60s and 70s. And I don't think people in general in the United States felt as close to their pets as people do nowadays. With my girlfriend number seven, we decided, so I didn't really have a pet again until girlfriend number seven. We got two barn cats from my old college roommate. And he gave me a warning. And he said, if you want these cats, they are yours. Do not return them, which ended up being a horrible foreshadow. Anyway, I remember bringing these little cats home. Oh, God, we named them Emery and Dickinson. Oh, they tried to crawl out her apartment window those first few days we had them. Man, I wish they had gotten out now. Um, the girlfriend and I moved in together. We tried to make a home, but I was a cheater and I screwed that all up. And then we moved in with friends and the cats got fleas from moving to a new place. And the girlfriend and I were so busy and so angry at each other and so sad about how we couldn't make it work that we didn't care for them well. (sighs) So they had fleas and... We didn't address it very well. We split up. She didn't want to take the cats. I was in charge of them. My mother, I had to move back home. My mother would not let me bring the cats, and I cried and cried and tried to get her to do it. I talked to everybody I knew. Nobody would take the cats, so I had to reach out to that old roommate again, and I said, please, please take these cats because you live in a place where you can have them. He just looked at me. I'm sure he was wondering if I remembered the warning, which I did. I never saw him again. I've looked for him over the years, tried to look him up and contact him, but sometimes I think he wants to stay away from me. Sometimes I think he changed his whole viewpoint on me, and we had been close in college, but he changed his whole viewpoint on me when I showed him that I could not care for these little animals. So I'm hoping that he kept them, but I don't have a lot of faith in that belief. So anyway, after that, I never had a pet again. I started to realize this is no good. I'm hurting things. I I don't want to hurt things. And then I met my wife, my future wife, and she had cats. And even though I was very wary, I began a relationship with a cat, Kitty Lee. She was a Persian mutt. She was so skinny through genetics, not through underfeeding, um, that people... Didn't even believe she was real when they saw her. They thought she was a wind-up toy. She became my animal soulmate. Oh, the times we shared together. She healed me. She healed me of my wariness about animals. And she helped teach me how to take care of animals. Then came our first stray, Francis Bean. 
And uh, she was destined to be our first cat to raise together. And my love for animals continues to grow from those two. They both taught me how to care for animals. And then as my empathy has um, thawed over the years, that too, in concordance with these beings, which were so very special, both of them have passed now, Kitty in 2011 and Francis Bean in 2020, and I grieve for them, HSP. I grieve still actively for them, but I have wonderful memories and wonderful uh, videos and photos that I use to have a portal to be with them again. But they remind me, too. I am an empath. Someday, when I go to Lilydale to see about my ability to talk with the dead, I'm going to investigate my HSP-ness, my empathic states, and see what they have to say about it. Do you know about Lilydale? The community of psychics that live together in upstate New York. Are you an empath? Are you someone who has changed for the better when it comes to animals and care for them? I'd love to hear from you and hear your stories of change or maybe you've been an animal lover since your first step. And I would love to hear about that too. Animal stories, empath stories. Are you an HSP? Tell me about it. You know how to get a hold of me. Thanks for listening. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever Professor